There are so many of us committed to improving the lives of the youth in our communities. The In It For Youth podcast is a place for us to come together, from professionals who work with and serve youth, to those that champion issues affecting children, to community advocates and stakeholders, and insightful young minds too. The In It For Youth podcast is a tapestry of voices united by a dedication to youth well-being and empowering the young generations of today and tomorrow. I'm your host, Jamie Gale, and I'm so glad you've joined me on this team that is in it for youth. Hello, and welcome back to the show. Thank you all so much for listening and providing such a warm response to the podcast so far. I am just loving being connected to so many of you who are really working hard to make kids' lives better. Today's episode is a really exciting one. I am fangirling a little bit because I have been following my guest today for many years as she has been growing her platform and her company teaching families about food and feeding. Her impact is really vast and her programs are robust. Today, I am joined by Jennifer Anderson of Kids Eat in Color. Jennifer is a mom of two, a registered dietitian, and has a master's of science in public health from Johns Hopkins School of Public Health. In 2019, she founded her company, Kids Eat in Color, a resource for families seeking information and strategies on child nutrition and feeding. As a parent, Jennifer started making small evidence-based tweaks at mealtimes to end the food struggles and reduce her family stress. And since then, she has been sharing her knowledge with other parents alongside the panel of experts on her team. Prior to starting Kids Eat in Color, Jennifer coordinated youth nutrition programs at a food bank performed research in urban food deserts, and consulted for the USDA National Office SNAP-Ed program. Her academic background is in public health nutrition, cultural anthropology, and economics. Congratulations on all of your impact on youth well-being, Jennifer, and welcome to the podcast. Thank you. Thank you so much for having me. I'm really excited to ask you lots of questions that I've had for years. So let's start with your current work. For those who don't already know, can you share about the work that Kids Eat in Color is doing and the ways that you help families? So this is so exciting because yesterday I got to go to my kid's pediatrician and I got to take down these like really unhelpful posters that were really steeped in like diet culture. I got to take those down and I get to put up posters talking about what fruits and vegetables do in your body. And I feel like it really captures what we do that. And when I say excited, oh my gosh, I was like <laughs> texting everybody. I knew. It's like a five-year dream of mine to be able to do that. Oh. And here it was like happening in real life. And I, it really captures what we do. Like we are here to help your child eat a wider variety of foods. And for many families, that includes fruits and veggies. I mean, the nurse I talked to yesterday was like, you will not believe how many children eat zero fruits and vegetables. So that's why we often talk about fruits and veggies, but it's really all foods. We also talk about picky eating and extreme picky eating. So we really help people with a home-based alternative to feeding therapy or parents who aren't quite at the feeding therapy stage, but they know their child's eating really needs a change. We help them with our evidence-based, better-based program. And then we're also like all about feeding your family because I don't know about you, but it can really yeah. <laughs> tricky feeding yeah. a family. There's so much to it. There's like meal plans and recipes and also just helping parents with their child's relationship with food because the diet culture that we're in is so powerful and it's everywhere and it's hitting our kids, you know, when they're three, four, and we don't know what to do. We, we don't want 
diet culture and a diet life for our kids, but we also don't know what to say. So we're here to help with those conversations and the mindset so that you're caring both for your child's health, their physical health, but also their mental health and their relationship with their body. I love that. Yeah. And I saw that yesterday. Major congratulations on that. And I hope that that just sweeps doctor's offices across the country because it's so true. It's such a prime place to talk about being healthy, but so often it's there's a lot of shame associated with going to the doctor. What are you not living up to? That kind of thing. So I was yeah. I was cheering alongside you. As part of my work, I own a company that teaches yoga and mindfulness to kids and families. And this was like on my someday list of wouldn't that also be a great place to put like breathing techniques for calming down if you're nervous at the doctor or some healthy movement things yeah. that you could do to feel empowered at the doctor. And I haven't done it yet. So major kudos to you for, for making that happen. Everybody should go check that out because that was really, really exciting. So as we touched on in the intro, you have an educational background in public health and nutrition. And so I'd love to hear what your path looked like from that launching point to what you're doing today. You're an academic, you're also an influencer, you have millions of followers across social media platforms, and you've developed programs that have reached across the country and I'm assuming across the world. And so how did, how did this all come to be? Yeah, that's a great question. Sometimes I ask myself that, like how... How, how is this <laughs> happening? I don't really know. Well, you know, I, I started out, I went to college and I didn't really know what I wanted to do, but I, when I graduated, I was like, I want to do some sort of nonprofit work. And so I got this job at the Northern Illinois Food Bank coordinating their youth nutrition programs. And I had done some like study abroad stuff in lower resource countries. And I just saw how strategic nutrition is for kids. Like if kids are hungry, they can't learn. If they don't have the nutrition, it's going to affect their body and their health and everything. So as I was at the food bank coordinating these programs for at-risk youth, I really saw how hungry they were. Kids who had never seen broccoli in their life. Kids who didn't know what a baby carrot was. Of course, they're not eating veggies. They hadn't ever seen it. They didn't have access to it. It wasn't in their community. And so I was like, oh, you know, maybe I'll go back to school for nutrition and see what I can do to help. So I, I eventually left the, left the food bank. I went back to school. It took me a long time to get there because I didn't realize I needed all these science prerequisites to study nutrition. And I had studied cultural anthropology and biochem was a part of that. So I did nutrition prerequisites. I did all of my undergraduate dietetic work. Because my goal wasn't really to ever be like a clinical dietitian. I never wanted that. But someone told me at this one school I visited, she was like, oh, if you want to be a nutrition expert, you have to become a dietitian. And I was like, oh, that seems weird, but okay. And I just <laughs> believed this one lady. I just believed her. <laughs> one professor at one school. So I went, I applied to schools. I ended up deciding to study public health which is a little broader than just like clinical nutrition. I, I went to school. I also did my dietetic work. It was a lot. And then I graduated with my master's, did my dietetic internship, became a dietitian. And right after, pretty much after I graduated with my nutrition degree, around that time, I got pregnant with our son. And I was like, okay, now I'm, I'm going to be a mom. I'm a dietitian. What do I want to be doing? I don't have a job because I just graduated. Yeah. And and I ended up, it was hard. It was hard for me to find a job because what I really wanted to do was like international work, but I also didn't think a travel lifestyle was going to be good for me. And it turned out 
yeah, that just wasn't a good fit for me. And so I ended up looking more at domestic work and I had a really hard time finding a job because people were like, oh, you're a dietitian. You want to work in a hospital. And I was like, but I don't. So I started taking dietitian off my resume to be able to get interviews. It was really interesting. And eventually I came across this job that was like, hey, we're looking for a dietitian who's built a website. (laughs) And I was like, oh, I've done that because I had this part-time admin job right when I had gone back to school and my engineer boss was like, hey, build me a website. And I was like, well, if you buy me this book and this software, I'll build you a website. So I just did. I followed the instructions of the book. I built him a website. And and so I got this job. I got this job contracting with USDA to do their communications and totally alternative job. And then I had my son and at nine months, he started falling off the growth chart and his pediatrician was like, he's not getting weight. And I was like, oh my gosh, but I'm a dietitian. He's supposed to be doing everything right. I'm supposed to be great at this. Yeah. Yeah. He doesn't care what you do. No. Right. And yeah. So, so that's really when I was like, oh my gosh, this is harder than I thought it was going to be. And I started like specializing child feeding. What are the best practices for child feeding? My second son came along was a picky eater showing signs of like more extreme picky eating. By then I knew the signs of extreme picky eating. And I was like, oh no. So, you know, really in my family, we were living this kind of what I call our better bites perspective and this lifestyle of really doing as much as we can, you know, in real life. I mean, we don't do it perfectly all the time, but that's really where it came from. And when my son was three and I'm standing in the kitchen, looking out the window thinking, gosh, I can't be the only parent having a really hard time feeding my kid. Uh, really, I thought I can't be the only mom because as we know, moms are mostly involved <laughs> still. And, and I was making these cute little lunches and somebody was like, hey, you should start an Instagram page with those lunches. And I was like, all right. So I did. So I started posting these cute little lunches on Instagram. It started as a Lunchbox account and I learned I'm not alone. I'll be the only parent having a hard time feeding my kids. And yeah, I can help parents. I can take this like really difficult, draining, emotionally draining experience that I've had with my own kids and help other parents who are going through maybe the same thing. That's so cool. I absolutely love the little piece about the website because you just never know how what something know. do at one stage is going to play in. And look at you now. That's so that's so cool. And you're so right. There is so much pressure, especially when we're in a field that is working with kids, which the listeners of this podcast almost exclusively are people who work with and serve youth. We do have parents listening too, but we feel this sort of pressure that we should get it perfectly. You know, we're trained in this. We've been teaching for decades or we have these degrees or whatever it is. And so then when your kid is experiencing difficulty in the exact area that you're helping other people, it's, it is a little like clarifying moment of, oh my goodness, this is maybe harder than I expected or not as simple as it is on paper or when you're doing it with someone else's kids. It's like when it's your own kids, it feels so intense. So and it's never ending. Like no. you're always, you always got them. Like they never go home. <laughs> you are home. You, like, uh, you are, you totally are. You are the home. <laughs> I remember a dietitian mom sending me a message. So I, I published this meal plan that I had developed for my own family when I was really, I was trying to quit my day job and I was like the significant income earner in our family. I can't just leave my job and go follow my dream. <laughs> 
It's like not an option. So I'm trying to like do my day job and start kids in color so that I can quit working two jobs. And I made this meal plan for myself to help out. And then other people were like, oh, I think that would help me too. And this one mom bought it and she said, she's like, I'm a dietitian and I've been feeling so guilty because I can't feed my family. It's so hard and I can't put it all together and I can't organize it or anything. And she's like, this is exactly what I needed. Like, I do want to feed my kids like this and I do want to do it, but I I couldn't put it all together. You know, it's so hard when you have this area of expertise and then you're like, wait a second. Mm -hmm. Like you said, this is way harder, way more complicated. There's so many more dynamics. And then there's a lot of guilt with that, you know, like, oh my gosh, how can, how can my child be falling off the growth chart? I'm a dietitian. Like totally. He's supposed to be healthy in all the ways. It's so great that you're giving parents this guidance in this way, because once your kid does start to, one of my kids who's now a teenager, when we took him to his fifth birthday well child check, he hadn't gained any weight from his four year old. And he had had all these growth things. We had been down every road and then his physician suggested a dietary change. And so we would do anything at that point, anything. And it's once you start down that path of like, okay, let's take this out and let's take this out and blah, blah, blah. It just is all consuming because it's Mm -hmm. your your baby, (laughs) even at 15, he's my baby, you know? And so it's so great that you're taking your background, your education, your lived experience, and you're putting it into systems that families can try. And that just provides such a really amazing like place to go. And you do it in such a beautiful way. I, I checked last night to see when I started following you on your Instagram account and it was 2019. So it was right around the time that oh you gosh. started your program. And my kids are all teenagers now, like I mentioned, and they were big kids in 2019. And so I was kind of like out of the mode of feeding small kids, but I was still so incredibly drawn to the messages that you were putting out and your work because you provide such positive messages about food, about eating, about bodies in a really practical way. Like it's so tangible. It's so specific and it's so helpful. It's not this sort of aspirational, like say nice things and don't ever do this. It's all so very real. And, you know, I'm a child of the eighties. And so I think that in some ways you're healing my own brain on like how food was you know, it was such different messaging. And so I'm hoping that we could just talk through a few of the themes of your work and that you could share with listeners a little bit about your perspective on those. Yeah. So one of the things that I see that you post a lot about is that it's not parents' job to make sure their kids eat this or that. It's just the parents' job to offer it to them. And so I was hoping you could shed a little light on that for our listeners. Yeah. So that's, that's super tricky, right? Because as parents, we want our kids to be healthy and have the nutrients they need, all that stuff. But when we're pushing kids to eat food, we're really often, so often working against ourselves because what happens if I'm at dinner and I'm at dinner with my eight-year-old, I'm like, Hey, guess what? You got to eat your taco. What's he going to say? Well, he's not going to be like, Oh, thank you, dear mother for giving me that. (laughs) That advice, I would love to eat a taco. No, he's going to be like, no way. I'm not going to eat the taco. I'm going to lay on the floor. I'm going to spill my water by accident. I'm going to like, and he's eight, right? It's even worse with a two-year-old sometimes. Um, But pushing kids doesn't often get us the result that we're hoping for. So if I want my child to eat broccoli, like, hey, guess what? You got to eat your broccoli. 
I still remember sitting at the table when I was a child looking at that glass of milk because my parents were like, you cannot drink anything else till you drink that milk. <laughs> well, I just went thirsty. Like that was it. And to this day, you're not going to get me to drink milk. Like yeah. no way. Yeah. And, you know, looking back, milk does not make me feel good. I do not feel good if I drink milk. That, I'm sure that was true. I'm sure that was true when I was six or eight or however old I was when I was staring at that yellow cup of, you know, nasty milk. We don't know why kids are refusing. They could have an allergy. They could be sick. They could be constipated. They could be, I don't, they could be scared of it. There's so many different causes of picky eating. And when we're constantly trying to override their sense of hunger and fullness, we're not giving them the confidence they need to then in the future be able to actually listen to their hunger or fullness, that same sense of like, oh, that broccoli didn't make me feel good or that milk didn't make me feel good. You know, parents justify that. And it's not like I've never done this, right? Um, But we justify it and we're like, oh, well, it's good for you. Fine. But when your child eats too many pieces of candy later, you're also going to wish they had listened to their body at that time. Yeah. And, but you're like, oh no, that's not okay. So really we've got to kind of be a little more consistent in terms of like encouraging kids to really say, how am I feeling? I remember there was this one day I'm looking at my son and I, I was like, okay, guys, we're going to go on a, we're going to have smoothies for 30 days in a row. (laughs) Just makes you kind of like pump us up for January because February is sick month. The kids are always sick. I don't know. Maybe there could be some miracle that we could go get. Of course they were still sick in February, but this was one day and I had tried like various things in them and, and I tried this protein powder in one <laughs> and I give it to my son and he's like, I'm not going to drink that. Literally my job is to tell parents not to pressure their children <laughs> yeah. to eat. It's my job. And that time I wasn't getting paid, but I was still telling parents every day, don't pressure your kids. And I'm like, you have to eat it. <laughs> I'm listening to myself. I'm like, why are you saying that? I don't know, but I'm saying it. <laughs> you have to eat it. You have to eat it. He's like, he's looking at me like, what? You never say that to me. It's like, you cannot leave this table until you eat it. He's just like, he's just watching the show. He's like watching me totally lose my mind. You do have to eat it. He's like, no, I'm not going to eat it. I'm like, this is a good smoothie. I made this for you. I busted out all the phrases, all the phrases that we all are like, no, that's probably not that helpful. He's like, it tastes like sand. I was like, don't say it tasted like sand. It does not taste like sand. I put all these other things in it, right? So finally, he takes a sip, right? This is what we get when we pressure kids. They take a bite. Mm-hmm. They take a sip. Mm-hmm. They take three bites. Is it? Is any of this drama worth it? So he leaves. He goes to preschool and my husband takes him. I'm like, well, I made this smoothie. I don't want to waste it. So I took a sip of it. It totally tasted like sand. <laughs> I was like, oh my gosh, you've got to be kidding me. Totally tasted like sand. It was sand. So I just like to come at it with a little bit of lighter perspective. Mm -hmm. If you have a picky eater and they're an extreme picky eater, they are like that for a reason. They're not trying to make you angry. They're not trying to like just get back at you. They're not being stubborn. They're they are being stubborn, but they're being stubborn to protect themselves. There's something about eating that is so uncomfortable to them that they are willing to stick up for themselves, which I think is great. And then we also have to work around that because it's hard. It's hard when you have a picky eater. 
Totally. You know, it's like, like they say that there's two things kids can control, what goes in and what comes out. And then that translates yeah. into like the picky eating or the refusal or whatever it is, and then bathroom issues. And so parents right. stress so much about those things because it's the two things that we can't control about our kids. I love that you even say like our offering tonight or our offering today is this. And so it's, you're offering the kids the chance to eat it and it's up to them to put it in their body or not. So I really love that. You kind of touched on this, but we say to our kids that this food is good for you, you know, eat it because it's good for you. And I really love that your messaging is that we can do so much better than just telling kids that a food is good for you or bad for you. Even at a really young age, I love how you break down, let's say avocados. There's a way to talk to a one-year-old or a two-year-old about an avocado that isn't saying it's good for you all the way up until teenagers. So can you explain a little bit like what is sort of the type of language that parents should use when they're talking to their kids about a food, whether we consider it quote good or quote bad? Yeah, there's enough research now that in the more I've, you know, I was just preparing for a talk that I'm going to be giving to pediatricians about this. There is, in my personal opinion, there's enough research that really does show when we're categorizing foods as bad, that has a lot of risks associated with it. It really does, even more so than saying these foods are good. But that idea that there's these bad foods, mm -hmm. it can really play right into diet culture and then contribute to disordered eating, which in some cases becomes an eating disorder. And the rates of disordered eating and eating disorders are astonishingly high. Mm -hmm. I was just reviewing the statistics yesterday. We're talking like almost one in five women before the age of 40 are going to have a clinical eating disorder. Yeah. That is so many. One in almost one in seven men. Or you look at disordered eating. And then again, we are talking in the, you know, 23% of on average and a little less than that for men and a little more of that for women have disordered eating. So we're approaching, you know, like Two in five women are going to have eating issues. And so when we're thinking about that, you know, I would love to like never have to mention anything about food. Let's just eat. Let's <laughs> yeah. not worry about all this yeah. drama. Who cares what it does or why? Yeah. Let's just serve a balanced diet. We'll eat our food and we'll be enjoying it. But guess what? That's not the real world. That's not the real world. Your kid is going to go to school. They're going to hear all sorts of things. Your child is going to watch TV, any media. Any media, they're going to be bombarded with food advertising to children. Walk down the store, grocery store aisle. They're going to be bombarded with food advertising to children. So we are raising our children in a setting where they're bombarded with food advertising, which is designed to override their interest and their hunger and fullness mm -hmm. cues. So it's working against everything we would want for our kids to be able to listen to their own body and trust their own body. And then we're working with diet culture, which is like, hey, there's good foods and bad foods and it's all around what you weigh and weight is everything and your shape is everything, right? So we just have a really hard job, whether we're parents or whether we're working with children, because there are these things and they're both pulling our kids towards an unhealthy way of thinking and living in so many different levels. So. When I came to nutrition education, I did it because my son was going to preschool and one of the rooms in his preschool was like, hey, we're doing a study on fruits and veggies. Can you come and be the expert and talk to our kids about why we eat fruits and veggies? I was like, oh, sure. 
Okay, I also got service points for it and I had to provide a certain amount of service points. <laughs> Otherwise I got fined at the end of the year. So I was okay. like, perfect. Yeah, this is going to be win. a fun yeah. way to get service yeah. points. But I was really struggling. Um, I'm going to be talking to three and four-year-olds. What do you say to a group and three or four-year-olds about why we serve fruits and veggies? And this was really even before kind of people got, were overly concerned with good food, bad food talk. It was like not being talked about that much. People weren't that familiar with it. But just as a dietitian, I was like, if I go in and I say, because they're good for you, like what a useless talk. (laughs) What does that mean? It doesn't mean anything. What does it mean for you eat a food because it's good for you? Like eating a cookie isn't bad for you. Right. Like literally it's not, if I eat a cookie, that's not necessarily bad for me. But if I eat a peanut and I'm allergic to it, that's going to be really bad for me. Right. But also... If I have diabetes and my mom wakes me up in the middle of the night to force me to eat jelly beans, that's really good for me yeah. because otherwise I die. And so there's, there's all these things, even as young children, we're just confusing them by saying like simplistic things like, oh, hey, these are good and these are bad, but they're friend. Like, why are you telling me fried chicken is, is bad for me? Cause that's literally my friend's cultural staple in their home. Like that's not bad and they're fine, you know? So I want to provide kids with better than that. I think they deserve better than that. I think as parents deserve better than that. And so I was like, what makes sense to a three-year-old? Like, well, colors, you know, We and I just made a little rainbow, little rainbow lesson, red foods help your heart, orange foods help you see in the dark. I don't have to get into like, hey, beta carotene is orange <laughs> and it's in your carrots and then your body transforms that into vitamin A and your night vision needs vitamin A to be able to see. Okay. I don't have, I'm not going to have that talk with a three-year-old. But I can say orange foods help you see in the dark. I'm making these simplistic lessons that a three-year-old can grasp and be like, oh my gosh. And you know what? The kids are so excited. They're like, no way. This food does something in me, right? Suddenly it's relevant to them. And I think that's where kind of the joy of nutrition education can come from. I think we have to be careful that we're not using it to shove carrots down our kids' throats. Like, oh my gosh, you're not going to be able to see in the dark if you don't eat carrots. Well, that's actually not true either. So as with everything, you can use it to cause harm. You can use it for good. So yeah, we're not going to use it to like hyper pressure kids. Again, pressuring is often not very helpful, but we can also use it to encourage wonder and interest and a positive conversation when you're incorporating it into your life around food and why we eat it. Right. I, I love that so much. And I thought of this exact topic end of you recently when I won't out which of my kids said this to me, but at the end of a school day, one of my kids said, oh, I'm just not feeling good. All I had today was a bubbler and I can't remember what it was and some other like thing that wasn't going to keep them full and satiated for the day, you know? And I caught myself because I wanted to be like, well, what did you expect? You know, and like (laughs) that kind of thing. And so I just said, it would have probably helped you to have something that would keep you full and give you energy for the whole day instead of just wake you up in the morning or something like that. And I'm sure I didn't do it perfectly, but it just, it helped me reframe from being like, why would you drink that in the morning and eat that in the morning to like, oh, this food has a purpose. It's fuel. It's there. It is useful to you. And so we can make those choices and like, instead of that was a bad choice. It was just you like thinking of the way that you frame things helped me sort of catch myself and then also communicate that to them differently. So I really appreciate that whole. I mean, I'm certainly guilty of being like, well, what, what were you expecting? 
if you just ate chocolate for breakfast. Like, I mean, in our house, we do have the rule that you're not allowed to eat candy first thing in the morning because I can't handle the moods that come from that. <laughs> we don't have a lot of food rules, but that's one of them because it keeps everybody safe in the house. Yeah. <laughs> and so if somebody does that and I'm yeah. like, guess what? You need to go like chill out by yourself somewhere. And they're like, why? Well, you're a complete monster. <laughs> of course, I don't say it like that. <laughs> just to be clear, right. I'm not calling my child names or telling them they're a monster, but we're disturbing the peace, man. Totally. Like I need you to, I need totally. to make a different choice next time. Totally. Well, and I think that for the stage of parenting that I'm in, things have shifted from like, I used to be able to at least control what was in the house, you know, but now I have one who drives and she, and she can drive her siblings to the convenience store and they can right. buy with their own money what they want to buy. And so right. that is like a loss of control, speaking of control. And so I, I, I feel like yeah, it's its its own its own whole world on that front. Right. People are like, when does this sort of like division of responsibility end? I'm like, well, as soon as you're, yeah. kid, like as your kids grow, like my 10 year old, I still have a lot of influence, right. but that's not going to last that much longer. Right. You know, by the time they're teenagers, they are making a lot of their decisions and it's that modeling and providing the dinner if you can. And so many of those things, it does change. Right. And it's almost extends the idea of teaching your kids natural consequences. And that's really easy to think like, oh, if you leave the house without a coat, the natural consequences that you're going to be cold. And so that's like a very easy one that like is sort of ubiquitous and everybody kind of knows to start to introduce that to kids, but we don't necessarily talk about that as much, or that's seems to be what you're educating on is how to talk to kids about what are the natural results of the food they're putting into their body. Yeah. I think that's where it gets dicey and there's there's kind of like some more extreme perspectives out there like you should never say anything bad about food like well i i just can't get behind the idea that we would withhold all information right. except for like a very small portion to children ever so we know like it's easy to scare kids about food we know that for some kids who are perfectionist you know i know a, a 7 year old girl right now and she's already gone to her mom and said, I'm fat. I need to lose weight. And she happens to be very thin. Mm. And her family has a history of eating disorders. She's very much a perfectionist. This child right here is at high risk for an eating disorder. Very high risk. And she's already showing warning signs now. And I've seen her. I've seen her be like, oh, well, one time I ate too much candy and you know, that I didn't feel good. So I don't want to overdo it. And I'm like, oh, oh my gosh, like yeah. this is a child who really doesn't need to be told anything bad about food whatsoever. Right. Like right. the message that she needs is all foods are healthy. All foods are healthy. No kid is going to be like, oh my gosh, that means I can eat all the candy I want. Zero kids, zero kids think that eating candy is okay. Cause they do feel bad. <laughs> like you don't have to educate your child on that. And the same, like, well, what if you only ate broccoli? They, in their minds, are like, no, I would not yeah. be healthy. Like, <laughs> it would not no feel good about that either. About yeah. So, yeah. this child really needs to hear all foods are healthy, all foods are good for you, your body is good, all the shapes are good, right? That child needs the parent to pull back on any sort of negative language whatsoever. Yeah. Are they still going to be like, oh, yeah, it's fine. You didn't brush your teeth after you ate candy? No. Like, the child needs to know, hey, we got to brush our teeth especially well if they had candy. So anyway, I think we 
do need to have sensitivity to who we're talking to, right? Because it really does matter, just like with everything else. Whereas my kids, there's no history of an eating disorder. I have seen zero warning signs. Neither of them are perfectionists. So, of course, always keep an eye on it. But is it okay for me to be like, oh, yeah, if you don't eat enough protein, you know, whatever. Or if we do eat too much sugar, you know, I started to have this conversation with my son because we've always said, hey, there's no such thing as healthy and not healthy. But his friends at school, he's in fourth grade, they're talking about it all the time. This person had this, this person has this, candy is unhealthy. They're just talking amongst themselves. This is even in the curriculum. And he's coming home frustrated. He's like, my friends don't get it. They don't get it. They're saying that all these foods are unhealthy. And I can see him getting to the point of where he's like, at what point do enough of his friends say this is unhealthy that he's like, my mother is wrong, right? Mm -hmm. Like, at what point do they like, Maybe my mom doesn't know what she's talking about. She can say whatever she wants. Maybe she's a dietitian. Who cares? But she's still wrong, right? These 10-year-olds are correct. Right, yeah. Yeah, right. So at this point, I'm having to start engaging. Like, why do your friends think that? Mm -hmm. Well, if you eat too much sugar, yeah, that actually is not healthy for you. But bringing in the nuance to that conversation of like, what does that amount look like? The more you engage the kids, the more they're like, oh, yeah, it's hard to know for each person, what healthy would be for them. But yeah, it makes sense that too much of sugar would be unhealthy, but also it's not unhealthy to have sugar. <laughs> that's, I feel like that's what we need to communicate, you know? Totally. It is so, it is so nuanced and you're totally right that each kid is going to receive it differently based on so many different things. And, you know, kind of along the lines of talking about health as ne- not necessarily tied to body size, I think that's where it is still very nuanced and also important to identify that it isn't always correlated. And a child might say, you know, my, my leg is fat or like, oh, your, your leg is fat as the, you know, the teacher, a lot of times we'll get, we'll hear that. And I feel like our conditioning is to immediately be like, oh no, 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 you're not fat. As though like that was some sort of insult or to say like, oh, your leg isn't big or you're not bigger than that child, you know, it's sort of negated as protection when in reality we're like gaslighting them because they can literally see that one body is different than, you know, bigger than that, or that their leg might be bigger than their friend's leg, or that my stomach might be bigger than the other teacher's stomach or whatever it is. It's so tricky. We have to have ways to identify correctly, like, what is true and also not associate the shame with it. So that's, it is, it is so tricky. Yeah. Oh my gosh. My son just did that last night. He was like, said something like my foot is fat. And, and again, like this is training, right? We have this bias in our, and I immediately wanted to say like, oh, don't say that. And I was like, no, just it is what it is. I don't even know that he was accurate about it, but I was like, I don't think that's like the definition of that word, but he wasn't using it in an insulting way. He was just using it as a word. And I was like, okay. And I do think reclaiming that word as just a descriptor, like, right. yes, fat is a descriptive word, just like thin is a descriptive word. Of course, it's tricky bringing that back in the language. I, I often use it at, at work, you know, <laughs> but every once in a while I could be in a setting because I'm trying to change my language and make it just like a neutral word. 
And everyone's all like, oh my gosh, those people are totally offended right, because right, they haven't right. made that switch. <laughs> it's tricky. It's tricky. We actually have a conversation guide. So the American Academy of Pediatrics came out with a clinical weight guideline for children. And it's very anti-fat. It's, uh, it's very extreme. And Kids Eating Color does not widely support most of the clinical guidelines in there. And our statement is on our website. But as we were doing that, we were like, what do parents have to think about this? And so we've developed a toolkit where if you have a child who's at a higher weight, we have like a how to have positive medical visits where you're not talking about your child's weight necessarily, but you're still interested in their health. Because some parents are like, I'm going to just shut down. I'm going to shut down the conversation about diet and nutrition and my child's weight yeah. and everything. Mm-hmm. Well, that's tricky. That's tricky if you're just not talking about your child's health. We can talk about your child's health without talking about their weight at all. Just like you're going to take my kid's blood right. pressure, you're going to weigh them and see where's their trend going. Is it going up? Is it going down? If there's a big change up or down or in any way, that is a reason for pause. As somebody in the para health field, I will always say, okay, what is changing? Let's ask some questions. What go, what's going on? Because people don't usually have major changes in trajectories. <laughs> That's the way my son was like, you know, flagged for an issue. So, you know, how do you still have those conversations with doctors? We have a, a free PDF that you could just download that's basically like, here's how to talk to your doctor. Here's how to talk about blood tests and ask about family history and, and all these things so that you don't have to talk about your child's weight. But you're not shutting down a conversation about your child's health, regardless right. of what their weight is. And then we also have a conversation guide that goes with that, that's in that toolkit as well. You right. know, how do you, what do you say to your child when they're like, I'm fat and they mean it in a negative way? Or what do you say when your child says, I want to go on a diet? These are like really tricky conversations. So yeah, you have an article and a guide that help parents start to have those tricky conversations. Awesome. We will link that in the show notes for sure, because I know that will help a lot of people, no matter what stage of parenting you're at. And even ourselves, like I said, like you are helping to, it's like you have to sort of retrain this generation of parents because we weren't talked to that way about this. So it, it is helping parents as well. So I, I will definitely link that in the show notes. Yeah. And you know, the other thing is that I feel like is potentially helpful to say is often my kids will like go over to a friend's house and they're like, hey, we're going to go watch this movie. My least concern at this point is whether it's got some bad words in it. Because so many of the movies, the older movies that they're watching, even from the 80s, they have incredible amounts of fat shaming, stereotyping based on people's weight, all sorts of things like this. And so I'm always looking up ahead of time, like common sense media or whatever, like what's in this movie? And Often it will point out like, oh, there's weight stigma. There's like this shaming or that shaming. And then I know I have to go have a conversation with my kids and be like, did you notice how that character, how the character was fat? How, how are they treating that person? Did you notice they made them look dumb? Can you believe they did that? They're going to see these movies, right? So it's (laughs) not like I can protect them from the movies at this point, but I can engage them on the conversation. Oh, why did they always show me eating? That's weird. Why did they make him say this or that? Like, how are they portraying somebody just because they're in a bigger body? Is that fair? Is that kind? I just think these conversations, there's there's so many conversations. Yeah, 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 totally, (laughs) totally. Okay, this might be a silly question, but is it okay to say, and if so, when, to say, yeah, you know, my kid 
is a choosy eater, picky eater, whatever, but like, so am I. And so I think it's fine. Like, when is that, is that okay to sort of let it be, or should we always be pushing against that? Yeah. So I think that you don't have to care about anything you don't want to care about. (laughs) Period. Okay. Like there's too many things. So there's going to be some things where you're like, not going to care about that. I don't care about the state of my house. I had to stop caring about something. And that was one of the things I stopped caring about. Like as soon as I had a kid. Some people are going to be like, oh my gosh, your house is really messy. And like messy, messy. Yeah, it's true. I had to stop caring about that. Is that the best? Would it be healthier to be a little more into cleaning and stuff? Probably, but I can't. I can't care about all the things. Do you have to care about your child's picky eating? No, in most cases. Now, if your child has a like severe nutrient deficiencies or they're falling off the growth chart and they have a medical condition, you know, there can come these points where you do have to engage in this. If your child is only eating five foods, unless you can find a way to make sure they're getting what you need, probably in their best interest, as well as your best interest to try to address that. So I always like to throw that out there, but we have parents in our Better Bites program who are like, I want to make kid to a place where they can engage with their friends and they can engage with our family. We don't have to like bring a suitcase of food with us if we try to travel or we can travel. That's where I want my child to eat. They're still going to be picky. I'm a picky eater. The parents say that all the time. They're like, I, I have autism as a parent. So does my child. I'm not expecting them to eat a lot of foods, but I do want them to be able to go to camp. Or Mm -hmm. I do want them to be able to do whatever it is. And there's some parents who are like, yeah, my kid's a big eater. They stopped eating veggies. They still eat fruit. They eat everything else. I don't care. I'm, I'm fine with that. Like, okay. congratulations. You don't have to yeah. care. I will, okay. I will sign off on that if you, <laughs> okay. if you need permission. Like, you know, you really don't have to care. That's really up to you. <laughs> That's that's really great. Yeah. My sister, I have two sisters and their kids are younger and, and they are some of the people that I'm like always sending your post to. But one of my sisters said something, she was dealing with like a sleep training thing with one of her kids and she was really not wanting to do something that was, she was, you know, really trying to navigate that. And she herself was totally happy with being up in the night or whatever. She was totally fine with it, but she was feeling all this pressure from outside in the world to fix the problem, quote unquote. And then she came across something that said, if it is not a problem for you, it is not a problem. And so I feel like obviously without taking into account like the extremes, like you mentioned, when it starts to affect true health, I think that is what I'm hearing you say is that if your kid's eating and your is not a problem for you, it's not a problem. Right. And I always like to say, it's not that it doesn't matter what your child eats because it does matter. but At the same time, it may not matter to the degree that you think it does, or it just may not be something that you care about, in which case, again, move on, move on with your life. (laughs) And there may be a time where you're like, you know what? I think diet is affecting my child. And I think we made some diet tweaks that could change. Or, you know, there was a phase where I didn't care about vegetables and that wasn't for me at that time, but I've changed my mind now and Mm -hmm. I want to work on this a little bit more. You're always free to change your mind. You're always free to go from not caring to caring. Like you have so many options as a parent. And I think like social media is going to be like, oh, you got to do it right. You got to do it this way. You got to do it that way. If you don't do it this way, your child is going to be scarred for life. The number of parents who now ask me, how bad is it that I, or Um, have I ruined my child? Those two phrases. I dislike, I dislike those two phrases. No, you haven't ruined your child. And 
I don't like to ask how bad is it. I like to ask how good is it that I am not caring about this right now. Well, that's great. <laughs> right, right, right. Because <laughs> it's right, making you a better right. parent. So I, I do feel like there's so much pressure, so much pressure. If you don't do that, you're ruining your child. I'm sorry. You might do something that has a consequence later that right. makes more work for you. But right. that's just part of being a parent. That's always going to happen. Right. Like, I, if you think you're going to raise a perfect kid because you're watching tons of advice and you're taking everyone's advice, you're mistaken. And I hate to burst your bubble, but it's just not going to happen. You're going to end up with a yeah. human and they're not going to be perfect. And you will have realized, oh, had I done something differently, I may have gotten a different result. Can't go back. But, yeah. I mean, it is what it is. You can't care about everything. Yeah. No, totally. Oh, I love that so much. Okay. If we zoom out a bit, what are you most proud to have accomplished so far in your work? Oh my gosh. Well, <laughs> I've heard of a lot of things that I've been able to be a part of. I do think I've been able to have an impact on the larger narrative of how we talk to kids about food. And I think that's contributed to a lot of kids having a better relationship with fruits and veggies, with food in general, with parents' mindsets. I've kind of seen like the work that I've put out there and then other people have taken on that work as well. So yeah, I am I am really proud of that. And I'm really proud about the fact, maybe even more so than that, that parents will say, I don't feel as guilty anymore. Mm-hmm. Or like, I feel proud of myself. Like what more powerful thing could I have done in my life than have, you know, thousands or millions, I don't know, of parents being like, hey, I'm doing a good job. Like, wow, (laughs) so cool to be a part of that. So even beyond helping parents feed their kids more veggies or helping parents get their kid eating better, like all those logistical things, which I love and are, they are so powerful. But the fact that I can go beyond that and say, hey, you're not alone. You don't need to feel guilty. And if you do, hey, that's normal. But you can be successful as a parent, regardless of how your child is eating. Or you can feel successful by making one little change if you want to make a change. Like that to me is just a huge impact and something that I really, really love about what I've been able to do. I love that. And you absolutely should be very, very proud of that. And your impact is so, so powerful and it's continuing to grow and grow. And so I am grateful that you're doing the work that you're doing. I have one question that I always ask my guests at the end of each episode, and that's if you could wave a magic wand on behalf of kids in 2024, what would you wish for them and what messages would you tell them? If I had the magic wand public health, the one thing I would do is to just make soda disappear. Okay. (laughs) (laughs) Which which makes it sound like I'm saying like all sorts of things, but like from a public health perspective, that would have such a major impact on child health, physically, mentally, like all the things. So the, the, my back pocket answer is always, that's the one change I would make in the world. Okay. Obviously I can make a lot of other changes and I'm doing that as best as I can, but that would be my magic wand thing because it would take a magic wand to make that happen. Get back at all those soda companies. Oh yeah, gosh. there you go. Soda companies are not my friends. So I think, I think kind of the, the magic wand really, you know, infusing kids with that, the idea that food is great for their body. Like all the foods, all the foods are great. All the foods do something. They can enjoy all the foods 
eating is really important. You know, like there's so much of diet culture that just like picks things apart and turns it into nutrition and turns it into calories and weight, like all this stuff. And I really would love for kids to be able to just enjoy foods with their families out the baggage and maybe end child hunger. That would be another great one. Add that to the (laughs) list. (laughs) We can't be enjoying food if we don't have it. And child hunger in the United States is astonishingly high, disturbingly high. So yeah, I think, I think it really would just be for kids to be able to enjoy and appreciate that wide variety of foods and to be able to eat it with somebody else. You know, the message that I have for children, I don't know. My messages are really like, Hey, guess what? Carrots help you see in the dark. (laughs) Did you know that quick energy is what you need before a soccer game, but you also need a little bit of long energy to get you through the second half? Like you need both the kinds of energy. I, I just think these facts are fun. So I don't know. I don't know what my message to children really would be because it's so nuanced, but I think those little fun messages are, I think they're powerful over the long haul. Totally. Well, that's perfect. Thank you so much. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you for joining me today. I loved chatting with you. We will put all your links in the show notes, but for listeners who are on the go, can you just tell people where to find you, where to find Kids Eat in Color and learn more about all of your offerings? Yeah. So follow me on Instagram, Facebook, TikTok, the all the all the places. Kidseatingcolor.com is where we have the learning center and that's where you're going to find the articles for the parent toolkit and how to have health-focused medical visits instead of weight-focused medical visits and the how to talk flyers and posters, you know, all that, all that fun stuff. That's all on the website too. But if you're looking for like, you know, daily little tidbits on feeding your child and feeling successful and that sort of thing, Instagram is the place to be for that. Awesome. We will link it in the show notes. Jennifer, thank you so much for joining me. And I would also have to put a plug out that if you want to see some cute babies eating broccoli, her Instagram is a great place to go for that. There's always those popping up in the stories. It's very, very adorable. People send those in and tag her. And so that's always a fun little highlight. Thank you for listening to In It For Youth. And we'll be back next time with another inspiring interview. Thanks so much for having me. In It For Youth is a Lit Path Studios production. Music is by Inspiring Audio and Pun5. Be sure to subscribe so you don't miss an episode. And to learn more about this show and all other shows on the network, visit www.litpathstudios.com.